This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you here this morning. Good to be with you. Uh, what I've chosen to speak to you on this morning is, is a topic that I think is, uh, is very relevant uh, to the church as well as to uh, the population in general, and that's the sin of ingratitude. You know, it, the, the world today is very ungrateful, especially when it comes to, uh, to what God has done for them. But unfortunately, that can creep into the church as well. And, and you know, it's just our human nature uh, sometimes to be ungrateful for things. And so that's what I want to speak to you on this morning is the sin of ingratitude and, and, and what we need to uh, look at in our lives so we're not unthankful, but that we appreciate what God has done for us. And where I want to start uh, May not seem like a place you typically start to talk about ingratitude, but Luke chapter 15, uh, we'll start at verse 11. This, of course, is the parable of the prodigal son. And there's so many things that we can learn from this parable. Uh, but one of them in, in this particular, is, as we read through this, we're not going to read the whole account, but just think about it from the, from the perspective of, of being unthankful how this young man was unthankful for what God had given him. And, and this is actually one of a series of parables that Christ had given here. He started out with the hundred sheep, how when a man loses one of his hundred sheep, that he goes out after that one sheep and finds it and then rejoices. Then he tells the parable of the ten pieces of silver. The woman loses one and she turns her house upside down, finally finds it, rejoices, uh, says the same, it's just the same in heaven when, uh, a sinner uh, when a sinner repents, that the angels in heaven rejoice, there's rejoicing. And then he tells the parable of the prodigal. So we'll start Luke 15, verse 11. Christ said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Now we'll stop there, and, and you probably know the story, the rest of the story, how uh, he found himself tied to a, a man that it, really his job became feeding swine, something that a Jewish man would not, didn't need to be done. It's probably one of the most unclean things you could do and how the young man realized the situation he was in. He repented. He turned back. He came back to the father. The father saw him coming because he was looking for him and welcomed him in with open arms. And it's a beautiful story about repentance and, and there's much more to it than that. Uh, but when you look at this younger son, he comes to his father and he asks him for his inheritance. He's basically wanting this early inheritance. The, the firstborn would give, get a double portion and all the subsequent sons would get a single portion. And so this younger son asked for his portion and the father gave it to him freely. No strings attached. He just gives it to him, everything that he had coming to him. And just look at the ingratitude of this younger son. You know, 
when I think of inheritance, uh, oftentimes you hear people, um, maybe they have a lot of money. I've heard a lot of, a lot of men say things like this. They say, well, when I'm gone, my, my son or my daughter, whoever, they'll get the farm, they'll get this business or they'll get this and you know, they'll be set up for life and that makes them happy. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with an inheritance. And, and this is, you know, in this case, there was nothing wrong with the son getting an inheritance. And I'm sure that the father wanted it to set him up, wanted him to use these things where he'd have a good life, he'd have a steady income, he'd have whatever, you know, good thing. But the son didn't do that, did he? The son went out and wasted it. Easy come, easy go blew it all and you can find out later he spent it on harlots and and we see here it was riotous living and i know that is not what the father wanted out of this that was not the intention he had when he gave him these things okay now when we consider our lives uh, and this can apply to somebody who is growing up that gets to that point of accountability where they realize that there's a right way and a wrong way and if they choose that wrong way it applies to them it also applies to a Christian who knows the right way but then falls back away when we leave God in either one of those two cases when we leave God and forget his commandments and quit following him we're doing the same thing we're taking all the things in this world that God has given us and we're going and we're wasting them and the reason we're wasting them is because we're not using them the way that God has intended for us to use them, right? And that can be, that's everything that we have. And we know that God has given us everything, our talents, our money, our family, whatever measure of health that we have, the very breath that we have within us, the life that we have within us is given to us by God. And if we don't use those things the way the Father is prescribed for them to be used and use them for him then we're wasting that substance we're wasting what God has given us and that's a very ungrateful thing to do again just like the father in the parable of the prodigal that's not what he had in mind for his son and if we don't live in a way that God wants us to then we're wasting our substance the same way and we're being ungrateful about the things that we have. You know, we have um, examples through the scriptures where God warns of this, warns of being ungrateful for the things that he's done, forgetting what God has given us. One of those, you can look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll start at verse 7. And you're probably familiar with these stories, um, these accounts, I should say, uh, if you remember the children of Israel, the Hebrews were in bondage in Egypt and they were going to, they cried out to God. They were in, they were suffering horribly uh, to the hand of the Egyptians and, and they cried out to God for deliverance. And so God set it up that Moses would deliver them. And you know the story of the, the 10 plagues, the final one being the Passover of the firstborn where the Jews uh, would kill the firstborn. You know the story. So they get freed from Egypt and they get their freedom. Uh, they're going to be given a good land. They're going to get this inheritance of all these things, these houses that they didn't build and these farms that they didn't 
work on, and they're going to receive that. Well, with that came this warning. So this is the warning that they get, they're given here. In Deuteronomy 8, starting at verse 7, it says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then shalt thou bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herd and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So we see here that God's given them a warning. Don't When you get in that land, and I give you all of these things, and you have it good, and you will have it real good, he says, do not forget that it was me that done this for you. Don't forget. And you can look back in chapter 6 when uh, Moses was given commandments and they were to set up these memorials. Chiefly the Passover was one of those. He tells them there, he says, when, they, when your children ask you what we're doing this for, why we're having this Passover meal every year, year he said, you tell them what I did for you. Tell them about how you were in bondage in Egypt and you cried out to me and I delivered you from that. That's what those were for is to those uh, memorials, those holidays were to remind them of the things that God had done. And he says, don't you forget to tell your children. Just as was mentioned in the prayer, don't forget to tell your children. Make sure they know. You know, when we look at our nation, our culture today, I see a lot of similarities in this to the, the, children of he, the, the children of Israel, the Hebrews coming out of Egypt and coming into this good land and becoming prosperous and forgetting their God that brought them out. I see the same thing happening in our nation. Now it's, that's not what, the church is not America. America is not the church, but mankind is all the same, right? And when you consider our nation, and there's people that have differing opinions on this, but in my opinion, uh, this nation was founded on godly principles. It wasn't founded by perfect men. Many of them may not even have been Christians, but they did have a belief in God. There was a system of morality that was worked into the system of, of government, and we basically uh, were supposed to be a God-fearing nation. That's how it was set up. And... You know, when you look at scriptures, Colossians 1, starting at verse 16, uh, governments, nations, all these things uh, are supposed to be accountable to God. God sets them up for His glory. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Okay, so this nation only exists because God allows it to. 
okay? And we need to understand that, not as, as just as the church, but as a people as, as a whole in this society. The only reason we're here is because God allows it. And if God doesn't want this nation to exist any longer, then it won't. And I believe if we turn away as a nation from God, as we have and we continue on, that it may not last much longer. I don't know. That's God's decision, but in the past, that's the way it's always happened. But we see in our nation, I see a people that came over to a new land, uh, a land that, that had everything in it, similar to the promised land, all the resources it needed. Uh, they was, many of them was fleeing religious persecution from the old countries they had came from. And so they came here, they built this land, this nation up. This, this nation, again, for the most part, was a God-fearing nation, and, and it thrived and kept getting better and better, stronger, more freedoms. We had all the freedoms we want, uh, resources, more and more prosperous. Well, now that we're all this prosperous and we have all these things, what has society in general done? from a moral perspective. We've went off a bluff. We have just right off the moral cliff. The, the world in general has forgotten God, took morality out of the system to the point now where our dollar bills, you can still look on them, they say, in God we trust. And some people absolutely hate that saying, in God we trust, because they don't want to trust in God. Now, when we consider us as the church, we know that we are to be grateful, that we must be grateful to God and realize that everything we have comes from Him, our family, our jobs, our home, money, our freedoms, all things we need to be thankful for this. And you know, in, in coming over here this morning, uh, you know, we have so much in our culture today. It, it's almost embarrassing how how easy we have it. You know, we come, I think it was 20-something miles, almost 30 miles over here. And I made it in about 40 minutes. You know, how many people, when you look back through the time, all the way to the beginning of the time, could travel 30 miles in under an hour? That's a very recent thing in so much luxury and comfort. And we have buildings like this. I don't, I assume the AC's on this morning, I don't know, but it's comfortable. It's so nice. We don't have persecution at this place at this time. You know, when I, when I got up here, I didn't have any worry about somebody coming in that door over there and arresting me or killing me or whatever because I'm preaching from the Bible. Now, there's places in the world today that they don't have that luxury. That if they get caught this morning, they're going to be persecuted. There's been people in times past that was killed. We can read about them that was killed just by preaching God's Word, just for preaching God's Word. So we know that we need to, we need to be thankful for these things, but sometimes we don't think about it. Sometimes we don't realize um, that we're not as thankful as we should be. And you know, one, um, one test I think we can do to see how thankful we are is to see how much we complain. You ever think about that? Because if we complain about something, we're not thankful, right? Because we're looking at the bad part of it, not the good part. 
And just think about this, an example is a car. Again, I've kind of already mentioned how, how we can travel so conveniently, so easily. And we have a, I think, a pretty good vehicle out there. It's comfortable, you know, got air conditioner, heater. It's got heated leather seats in it, you know, it's nice. And you know, I, I think about when I, when I get to studying on this, you know, I, I'm, really, I'm really intrigued by the, the American West. Back in the 1800s, Civil War era, before and after. I like that time period, learning about it, seeing the, the progression, the westward expansion, and all that history, how they lived. And so I think about these wagon trains that would start maybe somewhere in Missouri, and they'd head out west in search of a new life. And they would hook up a team of mules or ox or horses, whatever they had. They'd load up everything they had in a buckboard, you know, covered wagon, you know, and they would head out. Some of these babies were born on the way. Could you ladies imagine giving birth to a baby in the back of a covered wagon? And they would, they would fight disease, the weather. Sometimes there were people living in that area that they were passing through that didn't want them there, that they might have to deal with, and all of these things to get to the other side of the nation. Took them, they'd leave in the early spring, uh, just as the weather was about to break and travel and hope they got to the other side of the mountains where the snow hit. Now, when you think of how we travel today, you know, there's some people, and I've probably been guilty of this, maybe not this particular example, but sometimes people will refuse to buy a vehicle if it doesn't have those heated leather seats. You know, and you think about that, how, how spoiled we've got and how easy it is to be unthankful for what we've actually got. And, and it's embarrassing sometimes, I'll, I'll admit, you know, I build houses for a living and, and all the luxurious things we put into a house that we don't really need, but we spend so much time doing it. It's, we just need to think about that. And, and, you know, I always have a disclaimer with my lessons. Here's, here it is. Heated leather seats, air conditioning, all these things, there's nothing wrong with those. I don't find anything inherently evil about heated leather seats. It's what we do with them. Are we thankful for these things? Are we thankful for the good health that we got, the luxuries we got, the family we've got? If we're thankful for it and we use it the way God wants us to, it's a blessing to us. And that's what we need to look at. We have a good example of that in Acts chapter 4, this being in the early church at Jerusalem. They had a good concept of what God had done for them. And they used the things the way God intended for them to use it. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So we see here at the early church, and, and it goes on to give an example of Barnabas that sold, there, there was a specific need in the church. There was some that was doing without. There was others that had plenty. And those that had plenty took and sold those things to give to the ones in need. 
And this wasn't some communist-style setup where the church took everything from everybody and then just redistributed the wealth. That's not what it was. It was Christians that realized that God had given them everything and that they didn't really own those things. And you know, if you consider it, we're just stewards of what God's given us. You know, we've come into the world with absolutely nothing, and that's exactly what we're going to take back out. And, and Christ, in many of his parables, that he used that term, stewards. Remember the, these parables that he teaches about the stewardships. Okay, and that's all we are. And that's what it seems the early church had a good concept that we've been given these things by God and he's told us how he wants to use them. So when it comes time to use them, we just use them. And we're glad that we have them for that, right? And that's the attitude that we need to take. Instead of looking at all the things we've been given and saying, yeah, I've done that and I want more of it, you know. That's kind of human nature, isn't it? To not be thankful for what we've been given and to, in turn, keep wanting more and more. Now we have an example, we have many examples, but an example here in Luke 17 of some that were not grateful. And this is specifically to Christ and something that he had done for him. This is when Christ cleansed the ten lepers. Luke 17, starting at verse 11, it says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. You know, it's my understanding that back at this time, uh, this disease of leprosy was probably about as feared as any other disease. Uh, and what it was, it, it was, uh, my understanding, it was a bacterial infection. Uh, they, did, they had no cure for it at the time, but sometime, sometimes it would work its way through and you would be healed of it. Uh, but it, there was no cure for it. All they really knew about it is, 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 it, is it could spread from person to person. And so under the Jewish law, you can look at Leviticus chapter 13 to see all these laws regarding leprosy. God had set it up where his people would know what to look for. The priests were in charge of this. If they thought they would have leprosy, they would be brought in front of the priest. Uh, and, and the scripture told them what to look for, the specific things. It was an infection that... Uh, that had to do with their skin. It would make their skin raw and their nerves and I believe sometimes their hair would fall out and all these things would happen and it was a very painful, uncomfortable situation. But as bad as that is if they were found to be with leprosy, they had to leave society. They had to leave their families, their homes, their job, everything they have and go out in the wilderness. And oftentimes they would congregate as these 10 men did. They would live in these little communities of lepers 
and they were forced to beg for a living. They, they had no way of making a living, right? And so they lost everything. They were out in the wilderness by themselves with nothing. Okay, so when you, when you look at it from that perspective, and, and these, of course, were Jewish men, when Christ comes by, they see him and they, they address him as master. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And so he tells them, go show yourself to the priest. Well, they understand that is, well, maybe we're going to be pronounced clean because that's who pronounced them clean or unclean was the priest. And if, they, if, they, if their body healed up, then they could go back to the priest and they would look them over and say yes or no. And if they were healed up, then they could go back home, right? So Christ tells them, go show yourself to the priest. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. God mirac or Christ here miraculously healed them and they realized it, okay? And you would think that all these men, the least they could do is turn back and say, hey, buddy, thanks. But only one of them did. And when you look at what they lost and what they were about to gain, he didn't just give them their health back. He, just, he didn't just make it where their skin didn't itch or where their throat wasn't dry or whatever it caused. He gave them their family, their home, their job, if they could get that back or they could start another job, whatever. He gave them everything back. They were going to go back to society and, and regain all that they had lost or had that potential to anyway. Yet only one turned back to give thanks. And Christ here calls them out on it. says, Where, where's the nine at? I, clean, I, I cleansed ten of you. And only one turns back, and that was a stranger, meaning the Samaritan. So we see here these, these nine lepers weren't thankful for what Christ had done to them. You know, our health is something that is important to us. Uh, you know, we've been given these bodies, and, and if we're in bad health, it is very difficult to live and to serve God and to work for your family or whatever if, if we get in a situation like that. I've never had anything like this. But, you know, when I consider my own health, sometimes I'll, I'll get a bad cold or get a flu or whatever it's called and feel really bad. And I'll think, you know, man, this always comes at a bad time. Why am I getting sick now? I've got all this stuff to do. I feel so bad. And I'm talking about something the last few days, right? But oftentimes I'll come to my senses and think, you know what? I don't remember the last time I felt bad. Maybe for weeks, maybe months. I felt really good. And I'm actually at that point in preparing this lesson, I'm actually at that point where I feel like, you know, I don't remember the last time I'm sick. I've been in pretty good health. You know, oftentimes we fail to thank God for the good health that we have but rather we get to a point where we come down sick and then we start crying out to God, oh, Lord, please help me. Why, why me? Why am I so sick? But we forget all those good days that we've had. You know, some wisdom was given to me a while back by a man that, that's in bad health. And at the time, he didn't even know what was causing his bad health. And it could have been very bad. Still don't know, I, I reckon. But he said, you know, the problem we have, whether it be our health or, our, you know, our finances, family, whatever, is what we tend to do is we start with the perfect scenario, the perfect health, the perfect amount of money, the perfect home. 
And when we don't get to that, when we're under that a little bit, we're disappointed. We're not thankful, right? Where when we should, our attitude should be, well, we started in this world with nothing. God gave us everything we have, so anything we've got, we should be thankful for. It's all about perspective, the half-empty, half-full mindset, right? And I've thought about that a lot, and especially coming from him who, who his health was failing him, that made a lot of sense, and that, that made me think about things a little different, you know, that we need to look at not what we don't have, but what we do have, and be thankful for it. Uh, I've got another verse up there, John chapter 10. Um, this is another time where just an example of, of the Jews at the time, especially the religious leaders, they didn't appreciate what Christ was doing. They asked him if he was the Christ. They said, tell us if you are or not. And, um, and he didn't give them the answer they wanted. They thought he was uh, committing blasphemy by making himself equal with God. And he answers them here and. John 10, verse 32, he says, Many good works have I shewed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? They're going to take him and stone him for blasphemy. That's what they said. But he just points out a simple fact. He said, I've showed you many good works. And when you look at the miracles of Christ, all the things, not even the miracles, just all the good things that he done, all the things he done were good. You know, he didn't do anybody evil. He didn't do them harm. All the miracles were, were for the good of those people. And if they stepped back and took an honest look at that, maybe the, well, we read about the, the lepers that were cleansed, the demons that were cast out of people, all these good things, they were all good. And so Christ just points this out. Which one of these good things are you going to stone me for? You know, they didn't appreciate what he had done. And they didn't look at it from... Um, from a very logical perspective that this man's only done good things so he's got to be from God. And that's what Christ was trying to show them through his whole ministry. So when we consider our first reading, the parable of the prodigal, you know, we, we see how this young man took all these physical possessions and he wasted them, just blew them. Didn't have them anymore. The parable of the prodigal is not a story about inheritance, though, not the physical sense. Christ just used that uh, to show us the deeper spiritual things. And so when we, as Christians, when we look at our lives and, and consider our gratitude or possibly our ingratitude, the spiritual things should be much more important to us. You know, and that's what the prodigal, uh, I believe that's what he realized there was when he come back to his father, he wasn't coming back uh, to get more goods. That's not what he missed out on. What he missed out on was the love of his father and being in, that, in the fold in his father's house. That's what he really missed. That's what he was coming back for. That's what he desired to have again. That's all he was going to ask for is just to be with his father. And, you know, when we, when we look at our own lives uh, and, and our thanksgiving, we, we need to be so much more focused on those spiritual things, understanding what God has done for us spiritually. Now, He's blessed us beyond belief with worldly things. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's people in other places that don't have these blessings, these physical blessings, you know, the money and the cars and the nice homes and all that. 
but they still have the same opportunity for the spiritual blessings that we do. And that, when you put it in a nutshell, is salvation through Christ, right? Look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 28. It says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under, one, under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We're given a warning here, and this is a warning to Christians. Those who have been, <clears throat> uh, those who have been saved, those who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, if we fall back away from that and count that blood an unholy thing and, and really get to the point where we don't care if we were saved. We don't care about that blood. We don't care about the life that Christ lived. If we get to that point, he says it's a much sore punishment than what Moses' law called for under the, um, you know, dying without mercy under the hands of two or three witnesses, okay? These spiritual things that we have been given, this salvation that we've been given, we need to keep in the front of our mind. That's what we need to be the most thankful for. And just like the children of Israel, when they come out of uh, Egypt and they were given this Passover meal, this Passover feast as a memorial, what was that for? It was to remind them of what God had done. And you know, we have that Passover. Christ is our Passover. And we have a meal every week. And we partake of that. And what's that for? I'll tell you what it's not for. It's not so we can put a check mark down as our weekly duties just because we came here and, yeah, we, we ate some bread and drank juice, fruit juice. That's not what it's for. It's for the same thing as what uh, he told them back in Deuteronomy. He said, you be sure that you remember what I've done. And so when we partake of the bread and we partake of the cup, we're to remember the sacrifice Christ made for us. We're to remember that we don't deserve the salvation we got. That, that the life that we live on our own is not good enough to make it into heaven. That we have sin in our lives. Our bodies are not pure. But Christ came to live a pure life. And He did live that life that was pure and that was acceptable to God. And He gave that for us. And we're, when we're baptized, we're baptized into that body. We're baptized into Christ. He, get, he did that for us. He gave that to us. And that blood that He shed there that ratified the covenant, the new covenant, cleanses us from our sin. And that's why He wants us to partake of this meal, this communion meal, to remember it and to be thankful. And you can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know, the church at Corinth was doing it wrong for all the wrong reasons, and Paul straightens them out on that. He says, you've got to do this worthily. And he didn't mean you've got to live a perfect life because, you know what, none of us have. None of us can. What he meant by worthily is he said, he said you've got to do this in a worthy manner, discerning the Lord's body, remembering what that, that bread represents, remembering what the blood represents. That's what he tells us to do there.
And, and when we do that, it's just like any other memorial that we have, whether it's a secular memorial or, or these old Jewish feasts, is to remind us so that we will be thankful, so we'll appreciate what God has given us. And of course, there's a, there's a very grave result of forgetting God, and, and we can see it in our, our world today. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, and we'll probably not read all of this passage. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but we'll start in verse 20. Uh, this specifically speaking about the fall of mankind, how the Gentiles uh, knew God, but they didn't follow God. They went after their own ways. Romans 1 verse 20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, uh, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So we're not going to read the rest of that, but you know the story how they, they turn uh, to all sorts of, of sin. It seems like it, it went from there into sexual sin, and then it went in murder, debate, deceit, malignity. All these evil things uh, were done, and it says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind, meaning a, a worthless, a rejected mind, a mind that could, not, could no longer discern good and evil. That's what they were given over to. And again, we can, this is not, Romans 1 is not talking about our society today. But our society looks very much similar to what happened back then, right? We started out as, you know, basically we should have known God in this culture. Uh, and, you know, it surprises me. There's still, there's getting to be more people that will openly uh, deny the existence of God. But still there is a... I don't know if it's a majority of the people, I hope it is, that will at least still acknowledge that there is a God. Now, they may not be living right, and they probably know that they're not living right, but in my experience, most people I know will at least admit that there is a God, okay? But, of course, it's not good enough to just admit that there is a God. Uh, we've got to be thankful enough to Him and, and appreciate Him enough and believe Him enough to follow Him. But we see here that that just as, as in Romans here, when people, um, even though they know God, what does it say in verse 21? Where does all this start? And when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. And so really all of this started because they didn't glorify God and were not thankful to what He had given them. And then there the downward spiral of mankind started okay, into all these different sinful activities to a point where God just gave them over to a mind that no longer knew good and evil. And we're at that point again today. It is a very dangerous thing uh, to leave God out of our minds 
and to not be thankful for what He has done for us. So again, this is a warning. Uh, we're given a warning to, to not uh, have that spirit of ingratitude, to not have that sin. And I'll leave you with a couple sets of verses here. Hebrews 13, chapter 15, or Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 says, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. God wants our, our praise. He wants the fruit of our lips to sing His praise, giving thanks to His name. You know, that's the... That's what God wants, and really, that's the least we can do. You know, when He's given us everything, the least we can do is give Him credit for it and use it like He wants us to. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So in everything uh, that we have, we need to have that thankful attitude, that thankful mindset. Uh, not only in prayer, but also in the way that we live, uh, showing God how much we appreciate Him by what we do uh, with what we have. That's my lesson uh, on the sin of ingratitude this morning. I hope it's been beneficial to you. I hope it's made sense. I hope it's been encouraging. Uh, at this time, as is the custom, we're going to offer invitation to anyone in need of our Lord, anyone who's who's not become a Christian, who's not obeyed the gospel, but would like to. We're going to assist you with that, if you will. Uh, or those who need the prayers of the church, those who may be fallen astray or have sin in your life or any kind of problems that you have, we want to help you with that. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll do whatever we can do to help you. At this time, we're going to stand and have an invitation song. Just come sit on the front and let us know what you need as we stand and sing this song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.